Hello, welcome to Residential Spread. My name is Corey Gergen, and I'm here with Eric Lewis. Eric, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. I am excited that fall is actually happening. I was worried it never would. Yeah, it's 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 been so beautiful here in Atlanta the last uh, week or so. We are joined by Molly Slavin. Molly, how are you? I'm good. I'm just in my rectangular home with um, enjoying the natural light coming in through my windows. <laughs> save it. Save it for the episode. Okay. <laughs> uh, and also Josh Cohen. Josh is here with us as well. Josh, how are you? I'm doing fine, Corey. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Excellent. On Residential Spread, we talk about colleges and the coronavirus. We analyze the decisions schools are making in response to the pandemic investigate how the existing structures of academia affect those decisions, and discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the precariat. And for this bonus episode, we are going to do a lightning round. We are going to go through a number of recent headlines that pertain to the neoliberal university and the pandemic. So disputes about tenure, and disputes about academic freedom, and finally, some very, very bad dorms at multiple institutions. So <laughs> let's let's go ahead and dig in. And as sort of a precursor to talking about these issues, our temperature check for the day is 94, as in 94%. That's the percentage of students who would live in windowless dorm rooms in a proposed dorm at UC Santa Barbara. Um, We have a lot to say about this dorm, which I have just decided to call the torture cube. Um, (laughs) Stay tuned to the end so we can talk about tenure and horrible housing and a lot of other things first. Once again, that number is 94% (laughs) of students who would not have windows. I want to know what sort of competition the students have to participate in to get one of those windowed rooms um, to be one of the coveted 6%. Oh, it's, oh, it's very squid gamey. It's, sure. <laughs> it's, oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's a little teaser. That's like, we've allotted ourselves some time at the end of this episode to laugh about the torture cube, but uh, we wanted to start by talking about academic freedom, which of course Um, has been in the news here in Georgia, um, given the recent changes to tenure that the Board of Regents passed uh, a few weeks ago. Um, But a similar attack on tenure is happening at the University of Hawaii, um, where uh, a vote was recently delayed, but nonetheless, um, there is a proposal that is working through the system that would limit tenure and tenure track positions to faculty members and librarians who are, quote, engaged in direct instruction, consisting of active engagement with students, end quote, in the classroom or other venues, um, and also add similar things to the the ones in Georgia around like, um, uh, quote, student success and and, and things like that. So what what struck you all about about the story about the fight for tenure and the fact that the fight for tenure has moved to Hawaii? I mean, what stood out to me, and this is, uh, this is, uh, a theme that I will return to in one of our later discussion topics, but uh, just the crafty duplicity of it stood out mm-hmm. to me. The idea of centering teaching faculty in tenure is a reversal of the normal expectations of tenure. Like normally when you are, a ten- I, I mean, this is the case at 
certain sorts of institutions that are more research focused, but ordinarily tenure is associated with research, is associated with potentially being in the classroom less. And I think this is a proposal that has less to do with centering student engagement and more to do with just weakening tenure. And this was the useful excuse that was developed to explain it. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also really interested in the fact that I think after Georgia, um, you know, slash tenure, uh, immediately there was some sort of noise about Texas systems doing the same. And so I think we all thought, right, it would be like a very red state phenomenon until it moved to the inevitably, but it would take a while to move to the blue states. Um, It seems to have like sort of skipped that framework entirely. We're now in like, we're right off the bat. We are in solid blue Hawaii. So, yeah. Well, Hawaii of necessity has to import a lot of things from the mainland. And this is one thing we really don't want them to import. Like they they don't need to import (laughs) this weird post-tenure review uh, so-called reform where some metric about student success is used to undermine like faculty government governance. That's not something you need, Hawaii. You're doing better without it. Ah, but they have. (laughs) Yeah, I... I also think just to to go back to to Eric's point a little bit. I also think this language around uh, teaching and 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 non teaching faculty is uh, another thing that it's doing is sort of like um, limiting in the public conversation like what a university does, right? Um, and if you if 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 you if you focus only on the teaching, um, you're cutting out a lot of work that these schools do. And I think that's also intentional and you know, meant to kind of, uh, or the, the, the effect of it, right. Is that it like deprofessionalizes in, in the public eye, a lot of, a lot of what, um, universities do, I guess. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as well, it is meant to, I mean, it's basically rewriting the university as a consumer good. So universities offer instruction. Instruction is paid for by students And that is, and also, I mean, that tuition is meant to pay for universities. Governments don't have to set aside budgets to support them. Like everything is linked together (laughs) to basically undermine the university. Also, one thing that stood out to me was, um, uh, this is a a quote from the piece, Uh, Senator Donna Kim, chair of the legislature's higher education committee requested from the university a list of professors who did not teach classes and did not bring in extramural funding, saying they were contributing to rising tuition costs. Uh, I just love the idea that uh, (laughs) professors uh, and faculty staffing is the source of rising tuition costs rather than, say, unnecessary administrations. (laughs) Yeah, or or federal or state disinvestment, right? Yes, Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, we should point out um, that the vote on this policy has been postponed and um, there's going to be some changes to the proposal going forward. I think, um, I think, I think the faculty here were more successful in, in disrupting the vote than certainly um, faculty in Georgia were, uh, but this is still an ongoing fight and ongoing concern. So we'll have to keep an eye on this. Um, any other thoughts on this or should we move to a red state? Let's well. Let's not 
we already live in a red state. <laughs> Should we turn our attention to turn our attention the red to. state? Thank yes. you. Thank you yes. uh, for that clarification. Yeah. So uh, the University of Florida. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know what? We don't live in a red state. That was a really stupid <laughs> I apologize. I mean, <laughs> we, we live in a, we, it's we complicated. Are, we are fully purple. <laughs> we, are, we are fully purple. Um, yeah. There, there are aspects of living in Georgia that are like living in a red state. Um, a, a state that was recently purple and is now very red, it seems, would be Florida. And uh, news came out in the last week that the University of Florida has told three of its professors, uh, Daniel Smith, Sharon Austin, and Michael McDonald, that they are not allowed to um, testify in an upcoming court case on the state's new restrictive, restrictive voter, um, voter voting policies. Um, uh, I don't know the name of the bill offhand. Uh, but they were told that it was not in the university's best interest for them to participate in this trial, even though they are all experts um, on the issues at hand. Um, this is part of a larger pattern at the University of Florida. Uh, TampaBay.com, just like literally an hour before we started recording, uh, published an article with a longer list of faculty at UF uh, who have been told not to uh, participate in various court cases um, in August. Officials told a UF professor of pediatrics that he couldn't work on two cases challenging the state's ban on mask mandates because participating in lawsuits against Governor Ron DeSantis' administration would, quote, create a conflict for the university. Um, and last year, four UF law professors who wanted to sign a friend of the court brief in a lawsuit challenging a new felon's voting law were told that they could not identify themselves as university faculty members in the filing because it involved a, quote, action against the state, end quote. Um, uh, and then there's a handful of others that they have um, uh, uncovered uh, at the Tampa Bay Times, but those are kind of the big ones. Um, I've Thoughts on this story? I don't have a question framed. I'm sorry. I It goes back to what Eric was saying about Hawaii, which was so, I think, perfectly formed. Eric, you put into words a lot of what was sort of swirling around in my brain. Um, but like, this is now one of the things universities don't do, right? Um, any, any, you know, any time spent on anything that's not direct instruction is not only taking money away from the university, it's, what was the exact phrase? I'm sorry, I lost it. But like, um, not in the best interests of the university. Oh, I think adverse to UF's interest is the Adverse quote. to UF's interests. At, at different moments, they've used different language. So I think that was the language they used in the case of this voting rights law. Um, an action against the state is what they said about the uh, felons voting law and the pediatric professor who wanted to talk about the ban on mass mandates across the state. It would, quote, create a conflict, end quote, for the university. Yeah. I mean, it's all obviously part of like a larger political project of like yeah. silencing anything that's not a right wing voice. But um, it's also, I think, linked to this. This is not what universities are for. Universities are for direct instruction and mm -hmm. yeah and and actions that are for the state right like support of and yes 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 of yeah. the state regardless of what the state is doing right no i could not believe that partially because it's so to frame <laughs> so to frame participation in a legal process as action against the state shocks me like it's it's not like <laughs> it's not like the University of Florida said that <laughs> said that their professors 
can't throw Molotov cocktails while claiming to be University of Florida faculty. It was, <laughs> you cannot participate in the U.S. legal process, which participation is somehow action against the state, the very thing mm-hmm. that sanctions such action. Uh, very strange. Uh, the, the, the major uh, correlation that I saw between this and the Hawaii story, in addition to the whole reframing of what a university is and does, uh, was again duplicity in that the resolution that Florida put forward when challenged for this, this restriction of academic freedom was, oh, these three professors can participate in this court process about the voting rights bill as long as they do so pro bono, basically reframing their objection as being about conflict of interest and payment as opposed to what it actually was, which was a political move. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They sort of immediately made that change in their in their language. And um, Inside Higher Ed has an article uh, that the the faculty have already rightly, I think, said that that's not good enough, right? Um, that this is still um, a major um, violation of, of, of academic freedom and just like basic citizenship i feel like <laughs> yeah for sure anything else about this about this florida situation or should we move to the bad dorms i'm ready to move to bad dorms bad dorms bad dorms okay we're the, <laughs> the torture cube is no, is no, coming to, i was gonna say no we no. have to do the other one first <laughs> i know i was gonna t- i was teasing it i was teasing yeah. it I, okay. the torture cube is coming but first we have to take a stop off uh at howard um, this is not funny. It's you're right. It's it's actually not funny. Um, so uh, neither is the torture cube. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. at least the torture cube doesn't exist yet. Right, um, that's why it can still be funny. This this is a dorm that exists uh, at, at Howard University, where students have been uh, holding a um, protest for for multiple days, where they're um, sitting in at the at the student center uh, over um, unsanitary and dangerous conditions in uh, one of their dorms, where there is mold rats, cockroaches, and mushrooms growing under the sink. I'm reading this from a Guardian piece from October 25th. Um, uh, So they've been staging a sit-in and sleeping at the university's main student center for the past two weeks. That's as of October 25th. Um, uh, Students chronicling the sit-in with uh, the Instagram account, The Live Movement, uh, are also sleeping at the center in protest and say they will not leave until their demands are are met. Quote, sleeping outside, and in the Blackburn Center has been nicer than a lot of our dorms, uh, says Nikia, 18, a, and fresh, a freshman at Howard University and a sit-in participant. Uh, here's where it's relevant to things that we've been talking about in this class, or in this in this class, Lord, uh, in on this podcast. Uh, guess who manages this dorm? Our, our old nemesis. <laughs> uh, yeah, Corvius. Uh, is that the pronunciation we decided on? I think we decided we didn't really care, you know, whether it <laughs> yes. was Corvius or Corvius. What we care about is that they do things by the way of the heart. And there's <laughs> nothing that says heart like mold infested dorms. Yes. Yeah. So these are uh, Corvius is is a is, is a company that, among other things, ma- builds and manages um, uh, military housing near military bases in the United States and a number of dorms, including in the University System of Georgia. Uh, where they fought very hard throughout the pandemic to fill those dorms regardless of public health. Um, And then when those dorms weren't going to be filled, uh, they then um, 
cut back custodial staff so that those dorms were not cleaned regularly. Uh, they also have a dorm at Howard University uh, that is uh, very unsafe. Um, Howard did not speak to the Guardian on this story, but um, a representative for Corvius did. Uh, they said, quote, a recent inspection discovered mold in less than a tenth of 1% of rooms, 34 out of 3,300. We encourage students to report service needs as soon as possible by contacting the front desk attendant by phone or online. And quote, um, I think it's wild that the complaints are about rats, cockroaches, mushrooms, and mold, and they only responded to the mold complaint. Um, anyway, uh, anything else to add to this, or is this just like chalk it up to oh. Corvius is bad? Oh, I do want to highlight the return of another one of our nemeses. <laughs> yeah, if that if that makes sense, if that isn't a category error in this situation, but uh, <laughs> endowments. I mean, what yeah. this is to <laughs> this is to quote uh, a paragraph from the piece. So, despite a recent wave of funding to the university, including a forty million dollar donation from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott and a multi million dollar yearly endowment. $647 million, as reported in 2017, Howard has publicly struggled with housing for its D.C.-located students, particularly after an enrollment surge this year. So actually two enemies, or two yeah. nemeses. So uh, endowments and also this, I don't know, profiteering approach to mm-hmm. enrollment where it's always good to bring in more students, even if you don't have the services to support them. Yeah, well, we're we're offering their customers, and we're offering them the service of education. And so, you know, you don't sell less than you can. Um, yeah, I do want to point out the opposite of a nemesis here, though, which is that Atlanta local hero Gucci Mane has pulled out of performing at Howard's homecoming in solidarity <laughs> with the protesters. That is that's a great that's a great high note to 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 move on from the story because. Uh, we're past our we're past our torture cube deadline. Molly, do you want to introduce the torture cube? Oh man, do I ever! <laughs> so I have decided to call this the torture cube. Most places seem to be referring to it as the University of California at Santa Barbara mega dorm. Um, first, I want to note that we only know about this project. Um, the project doesn't exist yet, which I think is important to know. But an architect pulled out of it and basically said, I can't do this. It violates my ethics. I, I, I truly cannot bring this into the world. And so the only reason I think we even know that it exists is because the architect who pulled out of the project made such a stink about it. Big, big Howard Rourke energy. I don't know what that means. Big, I, I don't big, get that reference. <laughs> big uh, Ayn Rand character, um, you know, the architect who will not abandon his, his ideals. But gotcha. but Anne Rand's architect would probably build this building, I assume. They'd be into the aesthetic, perhaps. Okay. For those who haven't heard of the Torture Cube or the Megadorm, the building concept, and this is a direct quote from The Independent, it's an 11-story, 1.68 million square foot structure that would house 4,500 students. That's a small town. 94% of whom would not have windows in their small, single-occupancy bedrooms. Um, later in the article, it says that this would be the eighth densest city in the world behind only Dhaka, Bangladesh. Oh, my God. So why, you might ask? Why does the storm need to exist? Well, I would say to you, 
This is a quote from the Independent article. The idea was conceived by 97-year-old billionaire, turned, billionaire investor turned amateur architect Charles Munger, um, who donated $200 million for the project with the condition that his blueprints be followed exactly. He seems to believe that these small windowless living quarters are going to, quote, coax residents out of their rooms and into larger common areas where they can interact and collaborate. Truly, absolutely fucking bonkers. It's it's James Bond villain shit, that, that description of this thing. It is wild. Are, have you all looked at the, like, image of a the single rendering? floor of this thing? Yeah. I gotta sit, be honest, like, the rendering doesn't look that bad, which just means they have very talented draftsmen. I, but if you, but if you, it, yes. Okay. So like, it, it's very sterile and it looks like fairly normal if you aren't looking at it too hard, but there is per eight bedrooms, a single bathroom yes, and a that's single also, kitchen. That's also true. Yes. And then this weird dining room table that seats all eight of them. Like they're going to be sitting down for like family dinners every night. And that's the only, com- the only common space is this table for, this like long table for eight. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did see a picture on Twitter that was of like a, like a single dorm, like a, or like it was like about what was supposed to be like a dorm room. And it was like mm-hmm. a single bed and like a fridge, I think. It was very Spartan, but like yeah. very sort of delivering the basics. And the tweet was like, um, this is an American dorm room. Like, JK, this is a Scandinavian prison. (laughs) 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 I didn't reproduce that very well, but yeah. (laughs) Um, And then it was next to the rendering of this horrific torture, torture cube. Yeah, the the combination of the uh, single floor floor plan and the... uh, like the rendering of the outside of it makes me think of like Barbie's tenement house or something where it looks really nice, but it's like what should be larger rooms for smaller groups of people divided into these tiny parts uh, that just don't make any sense. The other thing I was thinking of, and and this is largely building off of Molly's uh, torture cube idea, but I'm made to think of the lament configuration from the Hellraiser movies. And in the later Hellraiser movies, there is a, lament configuration building so i wonder if part of the reason why this exists is that the hellraiser movies are real and (laughs) what's his face is really into the pleasures of the flesh and this is we all are we all are at the whims and the mercy of the mega donors so exactly exactly stay tuned for your neighborhood torture cube coming soon If you are offering a school enough money, they will build the weirdest shit for you. This is like this. This has to, this is going to be a dorm for thirty years, right? Like at least, like dorms aren't temporary solutions. Oh, longer. I lived in yeah. a dorm that was over a century old. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, we also didn't have an elevator, which I sure bitched about a lot, but showed me the torture cube, and I probably would have shut up. <laughs> yeah yeah right (laughs) excellent um okay well thanks everybody for listening and thank you all for uh going through the headlines with me and um does anybody have a uh until next time (laughs) my brain is is just completely (laughs) gone i don't have it until next time but i have to say i was 
I was very charmed by how in each of our little lightning rounds, we got to take a quick jab at one of our nemeses. I mean, ending with yeah. mega donors. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're always out there, so we must always remain vigilant. <laughs> the Legion of Doom is always recruiting. <laughs> <laughs>